Hey, Phil, how you going? How's it going? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, man. I've been keen to talk to you for a long time, actually. Um, I initially followed you on, I think it was Facebook, where you were doing most of your um, promoting and posting and putting up your training and all that kind of thing. But now I've kind of haven't been on Facebook much at all. I don't really use it. And you, I follow you a lot on Instagram and see a lot of what you do. Um, so I think like the, the main thing I like to do when I have someone on is just kind of ask you if you could give us a bit about your training background, kind of where you started and what things you followed to bring you to where you are today with your training. All right. So uh, I started off in like martial arts when I was around 13 and uh, that got me into like doing physical activity really had fun with that uh, and then from there uh, I got into break dancing for a while and one of my friends was like oh man check out this guy named b-boy jr he's so awesome he does all these cool freezes and stuff so I look him up and this guy is like doing basically planches on his fingertips and I'm like that's cool what is that I need me some of that so I looked that up and that takes me to like the world of gymnastics and bodyweight strength training. And then from there, I started learning about that. I started learning about, you know, learning from uh, Charles Poliquin, other uh, training mentors and sources. And uh, the rest is history. That's basically where it started off and where it's led to now. Man, that is so interesting. I was just doing a podcast with uh, Yad Muhammad, a calisthenics athlete from the Netherlands and I was telling him my background or origin story <laughs> involves B-Boy Jr. as well is I was just on the internet looking up and yeah I saw that famous video where he's doing those planche push-ups and stuff in front of a crowd and yeah to me that was the first kind of I don't know, like my window into gymnastics, calisthenics and then the whole world of you know functional body weight training from there because um, it looked unreal it looked like something I uh, yeah couldn't have imagined humans could do but did you did you know that um, uh, not confirmed this but Yard told me that he had some kind of uh, problem as in that made his lower body disproportionately smaller than his upper body had you heard that I've never heard of that no Oh, 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 okay. for Junior? For Junior. I thought you, sorry, yeah, I thought you meant yeah. for Yeah, for Junior, no. yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. He has, um, I think, some sort of issue with his leg, right? I, like I said, I haven't confirmed it. So if you've not heard as well, I won't keep talking about it because it could not be. I, I think he has an issue with his leg. And I think that's um, also like supposedly why his planche, is, his planche angle is so open. Like his arms are not near his hips or like near his chest more so. But that's just, yeah, same thing as what I heard. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Yeah, I mean, it, it could make sense. Uh, but re regardless, I mean, I'm sure he inspired a whole generation with that video, with that kind of stuff that he did. So um, with the things that you were just talking about, what kind of ages are we looking at here? Were you always active as a kid or did this all start when you were a teenager? No, when I was a kid, I was pretty much like the... Uh, I was the kid that a lot of people ended up picking first on their teams and then severely regretting it afterwards. Like, all a show and no go. Like, for some reason, I don't know why, but when I was a kid, my biceps were just, like, abnormally huge. And people yeah. would look at that and be like, that kid's athletic. And it's like, no, don't pick me first. Pick me last. Don't pick me at all. 
because um, I had no coordination. But when I got to martial arts, I was like, oh, hey, this is a little bit less bad than all those ball sports I was playing. I'm, I'm somewhat decent at this. And then uh, it, it was... It was basically just like, you know, it didn't work out at first, but then eventually I found what I was more into, which was strength training, um, strength sports. I'm really into that and uh, martial arts. Yeah. So did you find uh, that when you were younger, you had kind of a genetic advantage? So obviously you just said your coordination and stuff was off because that's obviously can come down to skill and practice. But did you find with other kids that you tended to be stronger, uh, faster, more powerful? I didn't find that actually when I was younger. Um, I even had like some, like it was crazy. Like, you know, people would just be like, wow, like uh, don't tell anybody that you run like that. Like <laughs> I got a lot of those jokes. Uh, like I was, most people thought I was at, unathletic. I, w- I was really into actually video games and computer work. Um, I was yeah. really into that more so. Uh, so I didn't really hit like any sort of athleticism until like, basically when I was in college and yeah. I started working at a gym where I started uh, working out and I started doing uh body weight strength. And then all of a sudden I started looking like I actually trained, <laughs> but right. Were they fast results? Um, they were pretty decent results. And uh, especially for the way I was training um, where I was just kind of like tossing stuff around and seeing what stuck. But uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just like me just doing a lot of everything and being, basically having the ability to work out at a gym so I could be there all day and just test stuff out and play around and drink a lot of protein shakes, which, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it started for me too, man. So, <laughs> so with, um, with B-Boy Jr., about what age were you when you saw that video? Uh, that would probably be somewhere around... Um, 18 17 18 19 because that's when i graduated when i was 17 and i remember being out of school when i went to go to uh, my first like b-boy session with my friends so yeah. i'm pretty sure it was somewhere around that time so uh after martial arts for about four years or five years i started going into uh break dancing as well and that's where i saw like b-boy jr also b-boy cujo and b-boy darkness and those were my favorite three yeah. and i was like oh yeah, yeah. This, is, this is something i like there was um, at around 13 for me was when I kind of tried to, I'd, I only kind of dipped my foot into break dancing, but um, I, I was, yeah, when I was 13, I was in this youth center um, in my local shopping center and this TV was playing the UK break dancing championships. And it was this, uh, I don't know, like it was just this video full of the coolest tricks you could imagine. Um, I th- I feel like the thing that maybe limited me was uh, knowing like where to start or what to do in breakdancing and maybe the limited teaching that was available for breakdancing. But was that, did you kind of just dip your toe in it? Because I don't see like much throwback to breakdancing in the type of video content that you put out now. Is that kind of just because it's something that you keep off of your online coaching um or is that something that you kind of did in the past and it evolved into the gymnastics and stuff that you do today yeah i'd say it was probably a bit more of a like stepping stone into what we're doing now and um yeah. and i still kept like a lot of it but as you know I, you know when you, you did 
breakdancing. It's like you spend a lot of time working for gaining one move. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. was like, yeah, I mean, I like it, but I also like doing martial arts. So it was kind of a hard to fit in martial arts and to fit in the strength training. And, you know, now at this point, training people as well kind of got a little bit yeah. hectic. So I don't really get to do it as much as I'd love to anymore. But, uh, you know, if I find free time, you know, it's a little bit of top rocking nowadays and whatnot. Um, I really enjoy yeah. like, all the freezes and stuff, but um, it, now nowadays I do a lot more like you no know, other things, and I just don't I don't have the time as much for breakdancing as like I used to. It's tough, man, isn't it? When you love when you love movement, but the, like you can't spread yourself too thin, or you don't make advancements in anything that you do. Yeah, I'm constantly dealing with that problem as well. <laughs> okay, so you did the breakdancing, then you also mentioned Charles Poliquin. And uh, that name just kind of sticks out for me because for some reason, that's one of the names I remember you mentioning when I first started following your posts. And what I remember about it was it showed to me that you put in that extra effort to immerse yourself and be open to other people's ideas and to and like you know to pay for it as well like to go out and actually do these things because i think a lot of people that are interested in um mobility and just lots of different types of training are just on the internet watching youtube videos or listening to podcasts doing it i think there's only a small percentage that actually put in the effort the time and money to go in and learn from all these other people in person um did, was that also in your teenage years or was that in your early 20s? And then just a carry on question to that was, um, I don't see you talking about that as much now. So is that kind of something that was in the past where you tried to absorb as much information as you could and now you kind of feel like you have this foundation of knowledge um, and can base your own opinions off of what you've learned or have you kind of moved away from attending like so many seminars, workshops and been tackling things using your own mind and thinking how does that affect me? How can I teach that? End of long-winded question. <laughs> I love that question because it's exactly like what you said is exactly what happened. So when I first started, no, I went to seminar after seminar after seminar, like we did some funny things uh, to go to some of these seminars. Like, you know, one of them, we went to Canada and we ended up like, me and Martina ended up like, you know, like not having a place to stay. So we just stay in a, in a, uh, a train terminal until this guy eventually uh -oh. kicked us out. Cause you know, he's like, you can't stay here. And he kicked us out in the nicest way possible, by the way, that like, it's like a Canadian thing. They're just like, he's like, you can't stay here, but <laughs> you can go over there to Tim Houghton's and stay there overnight. And it was so nice. But basically, you know, like, we we went to a lot of seminars. I think I counted one time it was like over twenty five or something like that. And wow. uh, at first, I was very very, what's the word? Um, strict on that knowledge, and I felt like that was basically like what I had to go on. So everything I learned got filtered through that knowledge um, that I had gained there with, um, with Charles. But later, I started reading the um, the work of uh, Nassim Taleb. And I started applying a lot of those principles to the training stuff. So nowadays, like, one of my um, really big, like, strong tenets with fitness is that, like, nothing gets basically believed unless it gets tested. Like, I, I put everything to the test. 
and anything I can find. I'm like, you know, um, can I make strength gains on once a week training? Okay, let's see it. Let's test it out. Let's see if it's possible. Can we do it in less than once a week? Let's see if that's possible. Can we do like minimalist training? Let's see if that's possible. Everything gets put to a test. So, so nowadays, uh, I try to find the rules that are out there, see if I can break them and see if I can still get people gains while breaking those rules and while uh, trying to do as little as possible or as you know, weird as protocol as possible and all those different kind of things. Mm -hmm. One um, one really interesting thing from what you just said, or something from putting your story together, is I get the feeling, just a hunch, that you love training. You love to be <laughs> physical and be doing things, right? Um, but a big shift in your mindset that I've noticed in terms of the stuff you're posting on Instagram lately is ways to get more out of your training with in less time. So how you just mentioned, can I make strength gains in one session a week? Um, so I'm trying to think how to word this. So would you not, if, if you love training, um, would you not be looking to say putting aside like five hours a day to train, just an example number, putting aside five hours a day for training and finding out ways to optimize those five hours as opposed to finding the shortest amount of time you can make your gains. Because I, I would think if you love training, wouldn't you want to be working on strength for more than once a week? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. So when I first started training less, that was probably one of the bigger issues. I had like some sadness just because I was like, man, I really want to train more. But so like the the idea with the um the training less is this: basically, I don't think that we can find out exactly what is optimal at certain points in time. So one day I might be able to train for five hours with this many sets, this many reps, and this much weight, and that's great. But then next week, you know, maybe my dog dies, maybe my house burns down, maybe my job fires me, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, my stress is super high. I don't know what optimal is. Maybe what was optimal for last week is no longer optimal for this week. So we can't really tell what exactly is going to be the perfect kind of training for each time, but what we can tell is the minimum. I can always tell what I didn't need to do. So like, for example, if I want to do, if I'm doing some squats and then I'm making my gains in my squats and then I'm not doing deadlifts, if I test my deadlifts out and they've improved without me doing deadlifts, I can be like, oh, that's interesting. These squats are improving my deadlifting without me doing deadlifting. So it's kind of like I can figure out, okay, hey, I might not need to deadlift to make deadlift gains. That's pretty cool. Now, if I worked on the other hand to squat and deadlift, I might not be able to figure that out because I'm doing both. But if I do like one and take out something else and that other thing goes up, I can be like, oh, that's cool. Like that works, that improves that. And on the flip side, if I were to squat and my deadlift stayed the same, I can say, oh, hey, well, maybe squatting doesn't improve my deadlifting. So maybe I know I need to squat and to make gains in those. But the, basically what the minimalism does is lets me kind of like figure out what's needed and what's not needed. And from there, that lets me like tinker and experiment and see 
what I need to have people to work on versus what I don't need to have them work on. And that's, for me, really, really, really fun to do because uh, it does help see people save time and energy, especially when not everyone has, like, you know, the ability to work out all day. Okay. So is that kind of your approach to uh, just strength training or would it be towards skill acquisition in general? Say it was to improve coordination, balance, things like that as well? Yeah, it can be for those two. It's a little bit harder with certain other things like skills because like, like for example, one of my favorite things is uh, MMA and uh, like you can't really like, you know, one person might beat one person one person beats one person, but the other person beats this person and that person. So it's like a little bit harder with skills. You can kind of try it, but it, you know, it just doesn't always work out the same way as like strength, which is a little easier because it's like number based and it's very like rapid intensity yeah. based. You can just kind of tell exactly what happened. You've still found. Sorry, I think the I think the connection went a bit funny there. What was the last bit of what you were just saying? With strength training, it's a little bit easier to tell what happened. Like you know, we can say like, oh, I squatted a hundred pounds one day. Next day, I squatted 105 pounds. Like, it's like, okay, that's that's a little bit easier to tell compared to something like, oh, I'm throwing a jab better. And it's like, I don't know if that's actually better or not. It's like better for this person, maybe not better for that person. Hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. And would you find that... So with your approach to strength training now, does it tend to be that talking from a foundation or a, like a general perspective, if you, you start with less and you add more if you're not seeing results is that kind of where you start like you'll always start with one session a week when it comes to strength training and add if necessary i usually start a little bit on the lower end and then i work up from there so like i try to see what the, the l less amount is and then work upward as opposed to working like starting off people with like you know german volume training 10 by 10 and then going from there down because it's like uh well, one, a lot of people don't want to go down, <laughs> so it never actually happens. And uh, two, it's like you might not need that. You know, you might just be able to start off with like one session a week, and you might even not make massive gains. You might even make better gains since it's like you know maybe work out really really hard and then spend the next of the time recovering. And all of a sudden, you come back and you're like, whoa. So with me personally, for example, I was working out like four times a week at one point, and I was having trouble uh, progressing because I was just like you know fatigued a lot. And then it was weird. Uh, even Martina, my wife, was like, you know, every time you train less, you seem to make more gains. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to train more. So whatever, screw that. And then eventually, <laughs> eventually something would happen inevitably where I'd miss training. Then I come back. And I'm like, whoa, I'm super strong. So, you know, one day uh, uh, I just started thinking, I'm being like, I'm just going to train less. And I did it for a while. And I was like, oh, man the games just won't stop coming. So, like, you know, it might even help some people, especially if they're having a hard time with recovery. I'm not sure, but if you start off low and you start with, you know, the, the closer to the low side, you can tell how much work you need to kind of, like, you know, gain. You can be like, okay, well, I need, it seems like I need to add a little bit more if I want to gain here. Or you can say, hey, this amount is helping me gain already. I can just keep going with this until and ride it out until it, uh, until it stops. Hmm. So how would you say that that kind of minimalist mindset, I, I don't even know if this is even a, you know, what's better or this versus this, but how do you find that that kind of minimalist approach goes up against tried and tested strength training programs like a, a Smolov training cycle or like um, 
a, a five by five, just classic, you know, three times a week kind of program that has a, a little bit more kind of volume or more sessions than you would consider a minimalist approach. So I tell people oftentimes, I'm like, uh, man, I used to be able to, to know exactly what, but uh, my crystal ball got broken one day and like I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't see anymore. So, uh, and when that, that's in the shop, but when it gets repaired, I'll be totally set. But, but, but really, basically what the thing is, like for each person, I really don't know. So like, let's say for one person, one person might be making more gains by training three times a week and getting you know those sessions in and that might make them more optimal gains right and then as they progress they might find that oh hey that's weird um i'm just not recovering like i used to I used to work out monday wednesday friday and that was fine but then you no know, by friday i'm just beaten down i'm regressing and every week i just get weaker and weaker and weaker well if that's the case maybe you should try doing less rather than doing more like most people. And then on the flip side, you might have someone with total opposite experience. They might start off with like doing um, the least and then they're like, okay, I'm making gains, making gains, it plateaus. Now we need to add another day during the week, something like that. So that's also why another thing why I'm, I'm really big into like, you know, hey, take your time, start off a little bit lower and then add on to that. You can really with that see a lot more, I think, uh, then if you start off high and like kind of gauge around there, because if you start off low, you can always be like, okay, let me add a little bit more and see if that works. Add a little bit more and see if that works. But if you start off high, you kind of like you don't know if you're doing way too much, or even if some of that extra work might even be detrimental. It's just costing you extra gains that you could be making. Yeah, yeah. So if someone was making gains, strength gains, training once a week, awesome. If someone's making strength gains, doing small of that's fine as well. But what you is, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. What you've noticed is that people tend to think more is better as opposed to less is better. And are you kind of trying to, I mean, you found that training less was helping you, but have you kind of recognized that within people is to think that more is better. So you're trying to bring attention to the fact that, hey, consider that maybe it's less is more because I find that that's what I get from you when I read into it. But I find that a lot of people tend to take what you say as you saying that it's gospel, like this is how you should train and people getting quite triggered by that. But is that, is that kind of what your approach is? Is if it works for you, awesome, but you've noticed a trend in people to think more is better, but to consider that less is better. That's, that's the whole thing. Like I'm not trying to say Hey, like I, like there's a lot of people who say you, you gotta train three times a week to make gains. And if you don't train three times a week, then you won't make gains. And it's, it's like I don't want to be one of those people who does it, but on the opposite side, where it's like, hey, you have to train one time a week and make gains. And if you don't train one time a week, you won't make gains. I'm trying to say, let's not blindly believe that you need three, that you need one, that you need five. Let's test it out and see what you really need. And then from there, when you, once you know what you need, you can adjust based off that. And that right there is like, you no, know, where you get the real knowledge. So if you're doing four times a week, you might not know that you only need two. But if you test out one first, you can go, oh, that didn't work. Let me try two now. Oh, hey, two works. Great. But, you know, if you start off with five days a week already, you can't tell if, you no know, two or three might have been appropriate. Mm. And what about, 
one little caveat to this in terms of how we were saying there can be a difference between this skill-based work when talking about a minimalist approach and strength gains. Um, where would you think something like Olympic lifting would fit in where it is definitely a strength-based sport and type of training, but there's also a huge amount of skill to it because you want to practice that skill as much as you can to improve and you also want to get stronger at the same time. But if you were, say, only training or if you were only, say, a minimalist approach did work for you, would you still just be in terms of what's your opinion, would you still be just training Olympic lifting once a week or would you be doing the strength aspect once and then lighter weight and working on technique more so throughout the week? Um, is Olympic lifting something that's even in your background in terms of teaching and that? I realize I'm asking you this. I don't even know if you <laughs> have done much Olympic lifting in the past. Yeah, I did a little bit, but it's not like near good enough that I would ever call myself an Olympic lifter. To coach it and do it and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did like back when I used to do a little bit of CrossFit, I did some Olympic lifting, but um, I'm sure if anybody ever saw my form, they, they probably dropped the barbell on my head. <laughs> but in terms of like the, the philosophy of something that is strength and skill based, it's not just a one or the other kind of thing. How do you think you would approach that? So I guess that's a good question. I, I love those kind of because I'm like, hmm, I was thinking, I think if I was going to test that out, I would do something like maybe one day would be like about going real heavy and pushing the lifts and then the rest of the days would be about improving the form they'd be mostly skill sessions like mm -hmm. i really like um the idea of training at the extremes so like spending time training really 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 hard and then on other days going for a walk light restorative stuff you know relaxing uh regenerating and then going back to the other extreme, training hard. So one of my things is like, I train hard, and then I don't go back to the gym until I'm ready to make a PR, basically. So I think oh, if, okay. I was, <laughs> if I was doing Olympic lifting, what I would do is probably like, one session would be about like training really hard and setting you know, PRs, right? And yep. then the rest of the days would be probably about like working on the skill of the lift, and goodness knows, I could probably use a lot more skill in my Olympic lift. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but then, like, next time I go back to the session to, to hit a PR, I'd go to hit a PR, then I'd spend a lot of days light working on technique, and then hitting a PR, technical days, hit a PR, that kind of thing. So basically training right. at the extremes where I'm either making really big gains and working really hard, or I'm working really soft on the other side, but, like, trying to stay out that middle zone where you're kind of, like, uh, you're kind of working, but you're not really making the, 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 hig the biggest, like, impact on yourself. Yeah. Does your um does your training revolve a lot in your strength training revolve a lot around improving PRs? Like do you relate PRs to an important aspect of strength training? Uh because I I know there's some people that don't even like to PR. They'd rather hit their peak of strength in their 3 rep or 5 rep max. So is a 1 rep max something that is quite uh consistent or apparent in your strength training and something that you teach onto your well not teach but put onto your clients as well is where our goals are based around prs Pers personal record for people that don't know what pr is yeah yeah personal record um, it, it doesn't have to be like the one rep max for me personally like as long as each time i'm coming in whatever like pr i'm hitting 
I'm hitting a new one. So like if I'm doing a new three rep max and I hit something there, I'm happy with that. If I hit a new four rep max, five rep max, one rep max, as long as something's going up, basically each session I come in, I want to see something go up. And if it doesn't go up, then it's like, oh, well, then I'm not recovered. Go back home, rest. So like, I've had sessions before where, uh, like, I remember one, like, a couple months ago where I came in, I worked out, and I was like, ooh, I'm not feeling good. And it was, like, two days after I had done my sprint training, and I was just like, everything just feels slow, everything feels terrible, this isn't working. And I'm like, you know what, screw this workout, I'm going back home. <laughs> so I went back home. And then, like, two days later, I came back, and the weights that I was using, they just flew up. And I was like, yep, that was right. Just All I had to do was just go home and relax. And uh, that happened recently again. Like, I came to the gym. I had just gotten back from uh, Denver, Colorado, um, hanging out with some friends up there with, like, no high altitude, 6,000 feet above sea level. And I came yep. back to the, to, the, to the gym, and I was like, all right, time to lift. And then I was like, man, everything feels really heavy. This is, this is bad. So then I was just like, all right, we're going home. I uh, went home, uh, came back a couple of days later, and I was like, oh, I'm ready to do it again. I tried it again, and then all of a sudden it was like, wow, now I feel strong again. So that's basically the thing. I'm coming in to hit an improvement over last session, and if there is not an improvement, I'm not bothering with it. Like the first time, the first set, if it doesn't improve, I go home, and then I come back again a couple of days later. Okay. So you don't think there's anything to working through a – what you could uh, subjectively call a bad session just because things are feeling heavy. So for example, just to touch an example, if it helps, is I'm following at the moment the Smolov Junior um, strength training program for bench press. And the other day was 105 kilos for, what's that for Phil? Uh, It's about 230 pounds, roughly. four reps for eight sets and I came into the gym I'd just done a jiu-jitsu session and then done about three rounds of rolling before that and I worked up to my weight and I unracked it and my first set was brutally hard I was like damn (laughs) this is freaking hard and I've still got seven sets left and then the next set was even harder i only did two reps and then i racked it then after i racked it i took the two and a half off so it was a hundred and then which is about 220 pounds and then i unracked it and did the remaining two uh reps then at my next set was at 100 kilos 220 pounds then i added um the next set was 102 and a half kilos so i don't know like five to eight pounds or something I added and then the next set was back to 105 and then the remaining sets were all 105 which was like the goal working set and then the last set I filmed it just because I was struggling so much I thought once I finish this program I'm probably going to make a YouTube video PR and you know put it up there so I'll film this because it's really friggin' hard and because I filmed it because I knew I was on camera. That was my easiest set of the whole session. So it made me think how uh, how significant the mental side of it is as well as the physical side. So kind of just you know going round the roundabout, back to my first uh, 
part of the question was, do you think there's importance in working through a, a bad workout where you don't feel as strong? I think there can be. I absolutely think that you can experience kind of like just, you know, like the first couple sets just don't go your way. And then all of a sudden, later in the session, you're just like, oh, I hit a PR. It's so weird. Mm. Um, so it can happen. Um, and then I've also, ha- so I've had sessions happen like that. I've had other ones happen where, like, the whole thing just went to crap. So typically, personally, this is just me, like, in the way I do it and the way I do it for my trainees. I'm like, if you have a bad first set, it's okay. Just go back home, recover, come back, do it again. I better go better. Most times, the second time people come in, they, they do better. But I yeah. am to- I totally see it as valid, too, where if you keep pushing through it and eventually, you know, it works and comes through, that's totally valid to me, too. Uh, both mm-hmm. ways, I think, are, are awesome. Both ways can work. Me, personally, I just, like, call it a day and go home. Um, and uh, I-, I think it also probably depends on uh, how frustrated you get. And, like, for me... Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, if uh, if a uh, if a weight goes wrong, typically I start kicking things. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, if you if you can if you can see that you like you know you get through that, you're just like, oh, I had a bad first rep or first set, then the next couple sets get good. Sure, man, hop right to it. Like keep pushing through it. I think it just depends on you. Yeah, it's funny, man. Just just before when you said a crappy session, for even though that's just simple wording, I could feel the emotion in what you were saying and it made me reflect on terrible friggin' sessions i've had where i'm just kicking stuff and like smashing stuff and so pissed off uh, so yeah it can definitely go the other way as well like if you decide to work through it it can still not improve and also it's so hard to i mean it's hard enough to track you know how you're physically feeling Uh, What did I eat yesterday? What kind of sleep did I get? Am I stressed? That kind of thing. I feel like it's even harder to keep track of your mental state. Like I didn't know going in that I was going to be, I feel like I carried in, oh, I've just done jujitsu and I spent like a lot of time like grabbing and holding on to people. So my grip, my forearms were particularly fatigued. Uh, So I feel like I carried that mindset into the weight session as it started, thinking I will be fatigued and accepting that. But um, yeah, it's a pretty hard thing to track the mental state. And I imagine even harder to be coaching people and trying to keep that in mind because you don't know how much they're sharing with you and like where they are. But I I still think it's a significant aspect of it too, if people can... Yeah, keep in mind of how they're feeling if they're already thinking this is going to be hard or if this is going to be easy and yeah, that kind of thing. Um, Kind of changing gears a little bit. um, One thing I've noticed with your Instagram is kind of a change in your maybe your your tone or how you express yourself. And I've noticed I can't maybe a couple years since you did it was it was seemed to be very much just sharing what you know or what you learned and your own training to kind of a shift to more still doing that but also calling out mindsets in the fitness industry um, that you don't necessarily agree with or think is bullshit um, maybe to symbolize it with like the introduction of uh, calling things like a sucker mindset, <laughs> Booker T. Yeah, 
<laughs> you know, call in certain mindsets like a sucker mindset. Um, I'm trying to think of some other language. I mean, I'll, I'll let you kind of answer that in terms of how have you, was that a purposeful thing you decided to do in terms of how you represented yourself on social media and what kind of response, how, like how significant has the change in comments and how it's been received? And then um, after that, I wanted to ask you about uh, two other key words was um, your, the things you have to say on disconfirmation and warm up. But uh, can you just answer that initial part of it as was there a specific change in the way you thought you would express yourself online um, and what kind of response you received? I have a really good friend, me and him um, go back and forth about screen screening stuff. And he has uh, taught me a lot about like, you know, basically skepticism, putting my ideas to the test. And uh, basically, I guess what he, what he did for the most part um, was help me see that the things that I thought I knew as 100% fact were not things that I actually knew. Like they, they weren't actually true. So once again, um, like any of these, these beliefs that I, I oftentimes, uh, attack on the internet are often ones I had myself. So like if anybody was biggest sucker, number one, it was me right there. So, for example, like, I used to think, like, once a week training, did, I had this rule where if, if people wanted to work with me in person, if they couldn't work out with me at least three to four times a week, I was like, let's not even bother because it's just going to be a waste of both of our time. And and it's funny because, you know, coming from that rule, now I'm over here being like, wow, yeah, I can make gains off once a week. And other people can make gains off once a week, too. And I ha and I literally have them do it all the time. And I, I look back on it and I'm like, man, I can't believe... I really sat there and thought that, and I really thought that people shouldn't try to even bother training if they couldn't train more than, you no know, three or four times a week. So what ended up happening was, um, you know, when we first started off, our big thing was like, hey, uh, static holds are kind of, eh, they're kind of, you know, I, I much prefer dynamic movement. So instead of holding, like, you know, an L set for 30 seconds, I prefer doing yeah. something like a pike pull through where you press yourself up into a plant position and then back yep. down. And we found that was giving better results than like holding statics. So uh, my friend was like, you know, you, you're already kind of on this, this mindset with making sure that like, you know, you're testing stuff, do it with all your other things too. You really encouraged me to do that with that. And then as I read more um, of Nassim Taleb's books, I started to look at stuff that I was, I was believing and was like, oh man, some of the stuff I thought was true was just not true. I need to put it more to the test. I need to try and see like if it's true or not. I need to see if I can disconfirm it to see if I can like disprove it. And a lot of the previous beliefs I had, I found to be untrue. And I actually went through a whole week at one point of just being like, I used to think this, 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 and they're all disproven. <laughs> it was a really fun week. Um, as for the as for the uh, the response to it, so it's cool because like for the most part, like the very big most part, most people love it. They're like, oh, this is awesome. You know, like I'm I I'm a, I'm a person who like you know has kids and or has to like know a job or a wife and our business and they're like, you know, oh hey, I, I'm able to now train and I'm still making gains. And I'm not doing those other things that you said can be like, you know, tossed out. 
and I save a lot of time and I still make gains, it's awesome. Thank you so much. So like that's like 90% of the messages I get is like people thanking us for uh, you know testing these things out and putting that work out there. And then there are some who like kind of have some pushback against it. And uh, with those, it's like they're actually kind of fun themselves because it's like I see a lot of myself in them. I, I I look back on those kind of people and I'm like, that's where I used to be, where I used to think like, oh my goodness, no, you can't possibly disconfirm this. That's totally true. You need your warmups. You need your prehab. You need your mobility training every day. You need to train, you know, four times a week. And if you don't, you're going to make gains. But even with those people, it's like, yeah, they're, they're fun too in their own special way. So like <laughs> most of it's been positive and the people who don't like it have like they probably like are pretty extreme, but it, it's okay. Like I, I love it either way, and uh, the people who love it like they are benefiting a lot from it, and that's all I could ever ask for. Do you find uh, a lot of the negative response is from people that don't understand exactly where you're coming from? Like how I was saying, I I see that a lot of the people that take it negatively are taking you to say that you shouldn't warm up and that I've disconfirmed that I need to train more than once a week to gain make strength gains. Therefore, that's what you should do. Is that Do you find that's what a lot of the negative comments are focusing on? Because that's what I feel I've noticed if I am just reading through your comments or you highlight a comment is there misunderstanding what you're saying in that what you are saying is you think is the only way is that kind of just what i've seen or is that just a mix of what you actually get in total probably like half of it like some people it's just literally like i just have to tell them like you know i tell them hey people you don't need to you might not need to warm up you know what i mean and some people will be like uh no like you know blah 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 i think warm-ups are good i don't think warm-ups are useless i'm saying i never said warm-ups are useless i said you might not need to they go oh okay cool like, you know, I, yeah. but then there are some people I've talked to who are very, very insistent. And that's what I believe is where the suckerness comes in, where they say, no, you need to warm up. You absolutely need to. And I'm like, well, I've shown that you cannot warm up and still not get injured. And those people will say, no, uh, you need to warm up. And that I call, I call that doubling down where you like, see something disconfirmed or disproven and then you still believe it and in fact you believe it even more intensely (laughs) so when that happens i'm like okay yeah yeah, well uh great now i'm just gonna have to like you know uh be like yeah don't okay sure dude that's that's cool yeah okay (laughs) yeah i'm 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 sure there's other kind of subcategories of what i'm about to say but i i think fitness is very much a type of thing where there may be studies and there may be you know evidence to strongly lean towards a certain way of doing something but if someone does find something different or opposing to what that evidence suggests um, i don't think it's something that should immediately be overlooked or dismissed because training or physical training is can be so individualized or specific to person to person what works because we all have even though we're all human we all have varying genetics 
varying proportions, varying diets, varying stresses. Like there's so many different things that can impact how we make gains and how we make progress that to say for any type of training that there's a one size fits all is just not true. And also with training, because the, I mean, some people might think this is long, but because humans with our physical training, we can adapt and improve on things in weeks and months. That's relatively quick in terms of like a scientific study to say that something strongly suggests this is true or isn't true. The time that it takes to properly through a scientific route say that through studies takes so long that if if all physical training waited for that kind of thing to come out before we started doing something or trying something or suggesting it that we would almost never get anywhere so i think it's important when it comes to physical training to not ever say that what you're doing is definite for everyone else that that's what they should be doing but to yeah, always be skeptical and questioning things and trying things out for yourself to see if they work. Fully agree. It's, and it's so like, like fitness is such a, um, like a, a low risk kind of field. Like, you know, nutrition or something like that or finance, you might want to be a little more careful there because if you screw up in those fields, you could end up dying or losing all your money. You know, at a blackjack yep. table. But <laughs> here with fitness, like, what's the worst thing that happens? You lose some gains? Like, oh, what a big whoop. Like, you know, like, try something out. Maybe you find some knowledge that lets you improve yourself for the rest of your life. Maybe, like, you know, maybe you spend 20 minutes warming up four times a week. That's 80 minutes a week. That's an hour and a half almost. And then multiply that times 52, and that's, like, you know, that's a lot of hours, basically. So, like, mm. if you try not warming up and then seeing if you can make gains off that if you don't make gains off that well okay fine just go back to what you were doing before but if you do still make gains and it all works out well then you just saved yourself like you know you know over 50 hours a year <laughs> where can you put that you yeah. know what i mean it's like so it's like test it out see if it see how you like it see if it works and if you don't you can always go back and if you do like it then great you learn something that will change the rest of your fitness journey the rest of your lives and what i what i find is that a lot of people can sometimes be a little bit scared to take that test and take that risk but yeah. if you do like you can really save a lot of time a lot of energy you know a lot of uh, a lot of everything yeah i mean I, i'll put my hand up and say i'm definitely one of those people that finds a mental hesitation to um not throwing my warm-up away but it, you know even shortening it a bit with certain things i have a very uh like with the bench press i have quite a ritualistic approach at the moment to how i work up to a working set um where did that come from the initial questioning of do i even need to warm up because i find for some people for people that do warm up like i would or for people like you, for people like me, and for other people I've had on the podcast, I would just assume that we all know that, or we were all taught that a warm up is important to kind of get the muscles ready for what they're about to do. And it's more the general public that are where we look at them and are like, you really should do some kind of maybe preparation before you do that because you don't have much you probably don't have much mobility in your chest. So you should maybe do some dislocations or hanging 
or things like that to prepare yourself. So for someone that is definitely clued in on um, optimizing human performance like yourself, where did the idea come from to go, do I even need to warm up? Like, why was it a warm up that you looked at and thought, is that necessary? Or is it kind of, you look at most things in training and go, is that necessary? And warm up is actually one of the things where you found, hey, this isn't really that necessary for what I'm doing. Uh, actually, was, that was like one of my, uh, once again, that same friend I told you about earlier. Um, his name's Eric. He's awesome. But uh, he basically, I, I asked him, like, no, blah, blah, blah. We're talking. And he's like, yeah, I don't really warm up. And I was like, what? <laughs> my mind was blown. He was like, yeah, at most I do like, no, I don't know, 10 air squats. And I put the weight on the bar and I do it. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. How could you do that? And he was just like, it just works. Like, try it. So then, like, I, I tried it. And I was like, oh, hey, this is awesome. Like, you know, like, I can I can squat. Like, so my, my best back squat ever was, um, like, a little bit over double body weight. Okay. And what abouts is that? You can tell me in pounds. I've got a calculator here. Uh, at the time, I was one around 187. So I hit... Um, around 375 for uh a rep a back squat nice. um then another about 170 kilos uh yeah i think so um I, I, that probably sounds so small to you because kilos go down you're like 170 <laughs> <laughs> i uh man math was math was terrible for me i i i'll take your word for it <laughs> well, yeah 170 is good man what so so you without warm up did one seventy? No 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 that was my best max that was my best max okay. that I ever did and that was with okay. warm up and everything. So then, you know I you know I Eric told me he doesn't warm up so I was like okay you know what let me try it because at that point he he was teaching me like you know, how to be skeptical how to like you know think about what I'm doing and test stuff out. So I was like okay let me try it and then over a couple workouts I worked up to being able to hit like one point nine my body weight on the first rep without a warm-up and i was like holy crap this is insane so i'm like okay that's not bad at all i'll take it and uh i'm hopefully gonna hit eventually times two again without a warm-up but even if i never do i'm like i'll sacrifice the uh the point one in exchange for not having to spend um 20 minutes ever warming up ever again so it's like that, that's basically where I came from, though. Like, you know, he told me he didn't warm up, and I was all right, well, let me put it to the test. And let's see where it goes at this point. And uh, so nowadays, I do, though, like, test everything out. Like, if I have, like, a, a mindset, I think, or if some I, – I call my – um I call it paying rent. Like, all my beliefs have to pay rent to me. And if one of them doesn't pay rent, I evict it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I test all With of them. like, out. a strike system or if just immediately – like, just say you didn't warm up did a squat hurt your hip or something, would you immediately throw it out? So, yeah, if that were to happen, then I'd be like, okay, this might be saying that uh, I might need a warm-up. But then again, like, the cool thing with this confirmation is I can keep testing it over and then see, does it, did, what about this? What if I did different a different weight? Oh, okay, hey, that doesn't hurt. All right, so I don't need to warm up. Maybe the rule is not that you need a warm-up. Maybe the rule is you need a warm-up if you want to hit, like, a certain weight. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. we can go off that. Or maybe I can say, okay, well, if I warm up, it'll give me an extra, I don't know, uh, 0.5, like point or 0.05. I can't do math. Gains, basically. 
<laughs> I think 0.5 would be like okay. 50%. Like, but yeah, like I uh, I could say something like that. Maybe I'll figure out. So that warmups aren't needed, but I'm not going to say at the same time warmups are useless. I'm just saying you don't need to do it. Maybe if you don't want to, you can save yourself a lot of time. Okay. And do you think that that kind of applies to... Um, uh, so like if for Eric, for example, I, I haven't met Eric or know Eric. Um, is he a strength athlete? Is he strong in terms of like when he's not warming up and then lifting a weight? Are we talking like 200 kilos, 300 kilos, or are we talking 60 kilos or a hundred kilos? And do you think that they're, I mean, cause the one you said you did 1.9 times body weight without warm up. If that's uh, like, to me, thinking of like how you said what your one rep max was, like that's still significant to not warm up and then do that. Um, do you think that there is a difference in terms of if you're lifting like 200 kilos, do you think that there's there should be some prep leading up to that and it would be a different approach to someone that's, they're going to lift 60 kilos? Like I don't, I don't even think I would, my mind would have hesitation to unrack 60 without a warm up and do it, but there would be for 200. Um, I, I haven't ever hit 200 kilos, but when I do, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that's, that's about 440 pounds, by the way. Sorry. I realize I'm still talking in, uh, in kilos. No, that, that, that one, I, that one I remember cause I, I wanted to hit that at one point back when I was bigger, I, I lost 25 pounds. So now I, um, now I don't know if I'll hit that ever. Man, that would be nice, wouldn't it? A nice 200. Oh man. Um, what I would say is, I guess, at that point, well, the cool thing about it is, was like, you know, if I keep going, maybe I'll find out that if you don't warm up, then your body doesn't need a warm up. Maybe you adapt to not needing a warm up. Maybe I can keep going and getting higher and higher and higher without a warm up. So, you know, yeah. at worst, um, I find out that I don't make as much gains as if I, you know, would have done something else. And at yeah. best, maybe I find out. Oh hey! By the way, this whole not warming up thing is great. Like you actually adapt in a certain way where you don't need to like ever warm up, and then you get able to lift heavier. So like, I don't, it could go either way. So you know, for a person who's squatting, you know, the entire world, maybe they need to, or maybe they don't need to eat either. I I really don't know, but it's just something that you can test out and play with and see if you like it. And once again, if you don't, just toss it out and go back to what you were doing before. Did you find, did you have any like warm up cracks or anything going on when you did your, you know, you unracked that weight for the first time without the warm up? Oh, oh, like uh, any like, like, like joint popping or anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not really. Like, um, so what I did learn was that, uh, you know, that feeling when you pick the bar up and it feels like, oh crap, this is heavy. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn that like not to trust that anymore because like you know when you warm yeah. up that's that is I think probably the nicest part of a warm up when you warm up you don't feel that feeling anymore and if yeah. you want you can even like over warm up and like lift a weight that's like way heavier just unrack it and hold it then mm -hmm. put that weight down take the weight off and like put your normal weight on and it'll feel super light so like mm -hmm. that's um a cool little trick you can do if you uh if yeah you, that's interesting oh it's really fun if you don't try it's called a heavy support so like. Let's say you're, you're, you're squatting, you know, uh, 100 kilos. Then what you can do is take 130 kilos, put that on the bar, unrack it, and just hold it at the top. And it'll feel heavy. Do it for about eight seconds. Then put the bar down. 
and then take off that extra weight and then put the normal weight on, then unrack that bar and it'll feel super light. Like it's just like, whoa, this is, this is nothing. And then you'll just, yeah, wow. I, I hadn't thought of that. And you, you just saying that remind, it makes me think of how, what we were talking about before with that physical and mental prep. Uh, yeah, when I unracked that 105 the other day, uh, it felt so heavy that feeling like you just said where you pick it up and it feels heavy it felt heavy and it mentally affected my approach or my first few sets um that could be something that warm-ups do for some people i think it would definitely do it for me because i'd do it in 10 kilo which would be about 22 pound increments as i warm up and that gets me physically ready but it also gets me mentally ready to hold that working set weight um that's just me thinking out loud <laughs> yeah like for some people that warm up yeah I, I i see what you're saying in terms of people like think if it works for you whether it does or it doesn't but warm up might also have a very strong mental um gain that some people might find they don't necessarily need once they realize that's what it does is just gets their mind ready to hold that heavy weight above them or on their shoulders the other key word I wanted to talk to you about was, we've been talking about it already, but the disconfirmation. Are you able to, because I've not heard that word applied in the kind of the fitness industry before. So can you just briefly kind of say what, like define what disconfirmation is and how you've been applying it to your own training and how to, and teaching your trainees? Absolutely. So it's really, really, really like almost hard, it's hard almost impossible are probably impossible to prove things. So like I cannot prove that everyone in the world who is alive and has been alive and will be alive in the future will be able to make gains off three times a week. Like some people might make gains off less, some people might make gains off more. So it's really hard to prove things. But you can disprove or discon disconfirm things. So like for example We'll find a rule. The rule could be if you want to make gains, you have to train a body part or a movement at least twice a week. And that's like, no, the, the rule there. And I can say, okay, great. Now that we have this rule, let's disconfirm it. Let's have somebody train only one time a week and see if they make gains. And if they make gains and continue to make gains off once a week, then the rule that you must train twice a week to make gains is now disconfirmed. So the idea is that it's a lot easier to disconfirm things and find out basically like, you know, what isn't true than what is true. So for example, uh, the one, if you um, read Nassim Taleb's books is you can, it's hard to prove that all swans are white. You can't really prove it because if you, you have to find every swan in the world in the past and in the future. But what you can do is simply find one black swan and that disproves the rule that all swans are white. So that's what we use there, disconfirmation, to figure out things that are basically not true and to kind of work our way backwards and to kind of like um, see what we can remove. Right. And is that based on um, applying it to your own quote-unquote beliefs in the fitness industry so that it's about using disconfirmation uh applied to an individual's 
quote unquote beliefs on what they think works or doesn't work. Because I know this isn't true, but let's just say everyone in the fitness industry is honest, <laughs> right? <laughs> let's just say everyone is honest in the fitness industry. So no one is going around saying, this definitely works. This will definitely give you a six pack. This will definitely give you gains. No one's saying that. Everyone is saying this may work, this may not. Um, if that was our current world, there seems like there would be no place for disconfirmation because no one is saying something definitely works. So is the idea of disconfirmation to apply for an individual to apply it to what they think is definitely true so that they can realize things that maybe they didn't consider and therefore progress both physically and mentally with their training absolutely you can apply it to like okay so let's say everyone in the uh fitness industry um just took a potion and now they're all skeptics now no one ever says the word like 100 fact or 100 certain ever anymore <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we can only dream such a world anyways <laughs> Um, you could still use it at that point. So you could still say, okay, hmm, I hypothesize that to make gains, I need to train a movement at least once a week. That could be your hypothesis. And then from there, you could say, okay, what I'm going to do is try training once every eight days. And if I consistently make gains off once every eight days, then I know the idea that I need to train once a week, once every seven days, is untrue. So from there, you can kind of take stuff away via negativa by removal, and you can kind of start to see a little bit more of the truth. Now, if you read like a study or something like that, the study might say, well, three sets a week is optimal. I'm sorry, three times, uh, three sessions a week is optimal. And that may or may not be true for you. But with disconfirmation and removing stuff via negativa, it's a little bit easier to find out what the uh, the actual truth is there. Mm -hmm. You find it gets you to the truth quicker than confirmation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that what you used to do? Kind of to, su to sum it up, did you used to look for confirmation in things and now you're looking to... Um, disconfirm things is that kind of how it changed yeah okay. that and that's that's a lot of people like i mean and I, I was like one of the biggest the biggest like people of this like uh you know if i had an idea i'd find all the instances that proved me right con confirmation bias but these yep. days what i try to do is if i have an idea i'm like okay let me find what disproves this idea and see if it's not true or, or let me try to prove it myself and see if yep. it's not true. And if I can, then I can disconfirm that rule. I can kind of go from there and go with that knowledge of, oh, hey, this thing, uh, it's actually not true. Cool. Great. Let's work with that. Okay. And where, where would you uh, draw the line in terms of saying you disconfirm something for yourself but we, we were just talking before about how the human body or each individual can have different things. Will, or the same thing will give them a different result or different results will get them to the same end result. Um, how do you apply something where you disconfirm an idea? Do you then say, 
I disconfirmed this through doing these things, this may work for you. That's one side of the line. Then the other side of the line is you have, say, 10 to 20 people that you've been training who have all through like training all of them you've disconfirmed an idea so you've got kind of a study group on one side and you've got you as an individual on the other side do you feel fine sharing the results of both and both are kind of like hey this just worked on me that's the only person i've tested it on but it could work for you therefore here's an idea you should go and try it or do you feel you should only share the things where you've seen a group of people that it's worked for? Or do you not really have a line in terms of you need a threshold of people to tell people that you found it worked compared to it just working for you? I think I rambled a bit there, but does that kind of... That's a great question. I, I think not only should you test things out on yourself, but part of a, like a good actual theory is that you give that theory to somebody else and have them repeat that exact same process and they test it out and then if it works for them too great so like that's absolutely what i think it should do so um like if you test something out or like if somebody tests something out and they find that they get a particular effect i love hearing about that regardless of how many people that they had tested out because um that's like okay great now i can test it I can see if that worked for me or if that didn't work for me. Uh, and then next person can test it and it can be repeated over and over and over and over again. And in my opinion, that's a very, very good theory to have, like a good theory that is uh, it's testable and repeatable. Um, so like, that's why at the end of uh, all of our posts, where we talk about testing stuff. I'm like always like, okay, so, you know, test it out and you might find that you don't need to do this. So it's never like saying, hey, this will absolutely work for you. Or like, I don't hold it back until I've tested it out on like, you know, a certain number of people. I'll say, hey, tested it on myself, it worked. And then later, if I tested it out on trainees, I'll be, hey, I tested it out on myself and the trainees and it still worked. That's even better. Maybe maybe you should probably really test it out now if you're really interested, you know? Mm. And how do you, with this disconfirmation, um, uh, how, how do you ensure that it's something that worked due to the disconfirmation hypothesis that you had. So an example would be you have your hypothesis that you could still make strength gains training once a week. Um, so you train once a week and you make strength gains. But what if those strength gains weren't necessarily from training once a week what if prior prior to that hypothesis you trained four times a week for six weeks straight and then by training only that once a week you did great because your body had actually had time to recover from those four sessions each week for the last six weeks and that was why you had the um strength gains was because you had a break and then your body was fresh and then you went in. So then, I mean, ob the obvious is, you know, to repeat the test. Um, is that something that you find that you do? So say you disconfirm something, how many times do you then repeat it to see if that's actually what it was? Do you try and set up the same 
conditions because we were just talking about that so hard to try and set up this the same conditions that you found in one session say you hit a pr uh to consider everything that led up to that in terms of like you know is your dog sick <laughs> did you lose your job <laughs> you know things like that um yeah how do you test that the disconfirmation is how do you test that what you've disconfirmed is due to the hypothesis and it's not outside things and do you repeat these tests before you say this works for me i freaking love this question because uh man like so when i first started doing it like the once we training thing right i had a guy message me and he was literally like um well the reason you're making gains is because you know you've been training for this long with this much frequency and then i was like but dude i've been like still gaining with once a week for like 12 weeks now and he's like yeah well some peaking can still last that long and i'm like okay well what are you gonna say when i continue to make gains for the rest of the year like are you gonna they're gonna like you know change your mind here and he's like yeah whatever and i'm like okay cool whatever so <laughs> so, so like but he brought up a really good point. It's like, oh, hey, you know, what if it is just like, you know, I've been training this much. And uh, then uh, now I'm moving on to this part. Like, you know, we're training once a week. So it's like, yeah, I repeat the test and I keep going with them for a, a long, a long time. And uh, for me personally, I like to test stuff basically until like it stops working and yeah. see how far it can get me. So like I'm still training once a week now and seeing just how far I can get with the gains of once a week. And um, I'm still gaining on one session a week right now with both my sprint training and my strength training. And we did a mobility test. We did once a week mobility. I'm still doing that test right now and it's still going. Um, I'm still testing sprint work with uh, to see if it has an effect on aerobic work, or like distance work, and it's still going as well. And they're still making gains and it's like, yeah, the longer this goes on, the more confident I'm feeling with the idea that this uh, works. And then with the more people who I can get involved into it and have them do it, the more confident I feel. So, like, at first, you know, it was, it was just me and Martina, but then like, I got another trainee who he was like, yeah, I'll do it once a week. Let's do it. And I'm like, great, man. And then it was really cool because, like, I wish I'd taken, I kicked myself in the face, like, every morning because I didn't take it before and after of this guy. Like, you know, he was having a hard time. Uh, gaining mass and all of a sudden we went to once a week training really really freaking hard like we do in our videos and all of a sudden he he's like looking jacked and i'm just like ah oh, i should take a video of this but <laughs> but uh it should be a requirement for everyone to submit their before photos in bad lighting and uh, whilst bloated no no oil yeah after after like a really bad pizza filled pizza and ice cream meal yeah but, uh, like, you know, he, he did it, and, and he got gains. My wife did it, and she got gains. She was able to do, like, a partial one-arm chin-up eccentric. And I'm like, holy crap, this works. So it's like, the more people I have doing it, and the longer I do it, the more confident I'm feeling with these things that we're saying. And uh, that's why I have to put it out there, too. It's like, hey, guys, try it out. See if it works, and see how long it works, too. And if it works forever, great. Keep going with it. And once again, when it stops working, great. You can just add some more if you need to yeah i mean regardless it's hard to argue against results and it's even harder to argue against 
consistent long-term results. Um, okay, so if I can kind of change, like shift gears a bit again, I wanted to ask you just kind of about your training. So back when I think it would have been more when we were on Facebook more, when I first started following you. So I've probably been following you for about four years, maybe. I'd say give or take a year, around four years. And um, you have also put up clips recently, I think, of you know past training. And you used to do things like one-arm handstands, um, and there were some other things. Are you still doing full planching or are you at kind of like a main maintenance level straddle planch or what are you at with that? You... I'm still working on a full planch push-up. Um, so like the, the whole like the static hold, I don't really care too much about. What I'm trying yeah. to work on is a full planch push-up. And it's cool because like lately what I'm finding is that um, like before the static hold, like I could do it if I did like a line of creatine off a gym bench and like slapped myself in the face and played some like Slipknot and then I was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> but, but now like I can basically do it whenever I want for a couple seconds. And yeah. so I'm finding it's more and more accessible. The full planche pushup is still hard. It's like the hardest pushup I've ever done. But um, I'm finding I'm making like three gains in the uh, the static hold just from working on the planche pushup. So I'm really happy with that. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, the my my question was, I, it seemed that in the past I saw more footage of you chasing like these large, impressive, physically very demanding skills or feats of strength. Whereas now I seem to notice you on more of like a, I know you said you're still chasing those strength PRs, but it just seems to me more of a maintenance type of training that you do now. So I just kind of wanted to ask you what, how has your training shifted over the last several years and what are your goals at the moment in terms of your training? So uh, for the most part, yeah, I, I really just test stuff out like, Maybe I could make gains if I trained more often. I don't know. And uh, part of me at this point is very, very unwilling to do more work because I really I, I really enjoy my, my free time. I really enjoy all the other stuff I do in life, a lot of reading, a lot of uh, spending time with my wife. I get a lot of um, like life satisfaction out of my relationship with Martina. So like... We hang around each other like all day, so there's that sort of thing going on. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that I'm really into right now, and training is kind of like one of those things where I'm trying to get the the most out of the time that I'm willing to put in. So when I go to the yep. gym, I'm working out super duper freaking hard with the uh, accommodating resistance that we show on the thing. So like, if I had to list like things I'm working towards, it's probably like a planche push up. Um, I, I have a ring handstand push-up now, so I'm just kind of like, you know, adding more load to that. Um, I'm just adding more load to the one-arm chins with accommodating resistance. Um, just improving the back squat and all that stuff in the front lever row. And it's really just about working on those and, like, as they go up, seeing what other free gains I make and other stuff. You know, the whole thing of, uh, we're trying to see what we can work on to make direct gains and free gains. Okay. Wow. So you're at a point where you're satisfied with how much, how many hours you're putting into your 
training. Nice. That seems unachievable for me. I always seem like, I always seem like I want more. Yeah, uh, and you know, I, I, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, I don't want to seem like I'm this guy who's like, oh yeah, I'm so satisfied with doing so little. Because when I first started like training less, I had probably like a massive identity crisis. I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was hard because like training was literally my hobby for a long time. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I don't want to like, give anybody like a false view of like what I am because I had that same, like that same kind of like, like, oh man, I'm losing my hobby. But nowadays I picked up a lot more different ones. Um, yeah. I, I really love to like, to like read, like I, I read a lot, uh, probably like every day. I, I'm really into MMA. Um, I really am into like meditation lately. So I'm doing a lot of that. Um. Uh, so there's just, there's just a lot of stuff I'm doing. So like, uh, adding in another, uh, like thing to do, it's kind of hard to do with already having the, um, the whole, like adding in more fitness is hard to do with all the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah. And I'm really into like video games nowadays too, again. So like that's, that's happening too. (laughs) Uh oh. Are they still as addictive as ever? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, I love watching movies. I love playing video games. That's, like, me and Martina's two hobbies. Like, we, we've we've played, like, Borderlands, like, probably about 10 years. We've had the same game that we've been playing <laughs> for such a while. <laughs> Do you still find yourself going back to the retro games, like, older games? Because uh, I find, like, nowadays games are... Um, you'll, you'll probably have a different opinion because you're, you're playing them. But I find, like, when I try and get into games nowadays, there's so much, um, I'd call it faff, around, like, just playing the game. There's so many details to set yourself up. And um, I find, like, just going back to Nintendo 64 Mario Kart or just, you know, like, just keeping it simple. Um, Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm keen for um, Pokemon Shield to come out. I'll probably be... Martina plays all those. I, I'm uh, I can't figure those out. Martina plays all. Those. I'm I'm like in the the shooters and the RPGs and all that stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Martina's our uh, Nintendo you... expert. <laughs> yeah. So um, one other thing that you mentioned, which I was heaps keen to talk to you about, was your interest in MMA because I know you have a really keen interest in it. And you mentioned at the start of this podcast that when you like you got into martial arts when you were a kid, um. But you don't really talk about it much, nor do you seem to teach it on any of your social media platforms. So um, what's kind of your background in martial arts? Um, Why do you do it? And how come it's not something that you share much on your social media when you have a fitness fitness, uh, channel on a platform? How come it's not something that you find yourself talking about? Um, so that's, that's great questions. Like, uh, so I got into it when I was 13. Um, I started off in like basically doing Thai boxing. Um, and then I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from there. I got into, um, like American folk style wrestling, which is a bit cause or like collegiate wrestling okay. as they call it. Um, for a yeah. while I did a little Greco and freestyle wrestling, um, yeah. later judo and boxing and a little bit of Sambo. So, uh, and some karate. So, like, I've done a lot of different martial arts, and I really just love uh, watching martial arts, and I love uh, watching, you know, MMA, UFC, um, all that stuff. I really enjoy that. Uh, I don't really... It's so good. 
<laughs> I don't really talk about it too much just because it's like, um, like I usually I'm talking about the other stuff, like fitness stuff, or I'm just doing our lives. Sometimes I'll, I'll post about it or I'll write about like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm studying this, I'm analyzing this fighter now. Like one of my favorite things to do in, in my free time is like analyze people's fight styles and look that up and then like, like, you know, just enjoy, just enjoy it. But I just do it mainly for the fun of it. Um, and if people also enjoy it, like, cool, I talk to them about it, but it's just kind of like, no, it's like a side passion. Just like, you know, a lot of us have, like, you no, know, a passion that we do on the side. That's, that's mine. That's like MMA. I really, really enjoy that. Martina really loves it. Um, she's what actually got me back into it when I had taken a break for a while. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's mostly just a, a side hobby I, I really, really enjoy. Okay. And well, with the, um, what age did you say you were when you saw the B-Boy Jr.? video and kind of got inspired from that i want to want to say 17 or 18 or 19 somewhere around there okay so um i'm kind of just again generalizing but if you found that b-boy junior video at like 17 and then you got into like break dancing and then like gymnastics body weight training and everything mobility and what you do as an online coach and what you put out is a lot of training and you know recommendations on how to train the like body weight training and mobility if you discovered uh, martial arts even further back than that and you've been into it this whole time don't you feel like you have something that you could offer people to the public in terms of like advice um whether it be technique or just how to approach and get into martial arts like how come it's something that you've uh whether like active or not you've been quiet about oh i mean it's just mainly because the other stuff that we do takes like just ends up taking more of a precedence yeah um so like we do have a lot of talks like about so like my movement background ended up being like martial arts but it's also break dancing we also did rock climbing for a long time we did ballet and contemporary dance for a while we did, like, we just went through all these different forms of uh, movement, hand balancing for, like, three or four years, like, up to, like, a, working on one-arm handstands. Like, we did uh, so many things. So when it comes to, like, usually when people ask specifically, like, hey, I have this specific problem with the movements I'm doing, what can I do to fix that? Like, for example, a lot of times I get people who are climbers who want to work with us. And they're like, okay, I want to train, like, three times a week. Um, but also I'm climbing, uh, seven days a week, help me out. And I'm like, all right, look, dude. So like, we're going to train one time a week because I don't want you to get tinnitus and you're going to get tinnitus like probably. Yeah. <laughs> so like when it comes to those sorts of things, like I, I'm, I love that I have that, that I've had that experience because it helps me help those kinds of people. But, yeah. um, what just ends up happening a lot of times is a lot of people are more interested in like the general strength stuff from our page. This is what we've noticed. And yeah. so we generally talk about that, but like if people send me messages about like the actual movements they're doing and how to like combine like their handstands with their, um, their, their training or like, you know, in our online coaching, when people ask us like, how do I combine going to jiu-jitsu class with still making gains in my strength or how do I make sure that I don't, I don't hurt my wrist when I'm doing handstands? and strength or how to make sure i don't get too nice on my elbows when i'm doing climbing and strength training that that stuff like really really helps uh we yeah. we definitely help those kind of people like that but yeah for like the um the instagram and stuff mainly it's just been about the testing lately and uh that's yeah, where it's yeah. gone so. yeah i mean i uh 
was always interested in martial arts, but I only started doing it. Um, I, you know, really slightly dipped the tip of my pinky into martial arts over the course of like kid through to in my 20s. But it wasn't until I think 26 years old, I'm 29 now, that I like tried to actually get into it and make it something that I do on a weekly basis and learn from. So I started wrestling in 2016, which isn't very big in Australia. So it can be hard to find places. Yeah, particularly that are near me. And now I'm doing, um, I'm keeping up more local because the wrestling was so far to travel to. Um, Yeah, I'm doing jiu-jitsu and the gym happens to also do MMA, which is usually um, Muay Thai classes. And then when you spar, uh, it depends who your teacher is, but when you spar, you can mix in your striking with your wrestling, with your jiu-jitsu and everything. But yeah, I just think it's, it's such a, a an oversight for a lot of people that are similar to you and me where they train because they want to make their bodies better at doing things. They want a functional body that has a lot of skills in its toolkit. Um, and to put all this effort into improving their strength and their power and their mobility, and then they find themselves in a real-life situation where they have to defend themselves, if the other person doesn't have any like really strength background, flexibility, mobility, but they have a slight idea of what they're doing in an alter, a physical altercation, they'll likely have an advantage over you who's put so much effort in. So I kind of feel like it's now a, an obligation of mine to whenever I can talk about learning self-defense as an essential part of your physical training. If any part of you trains to make yourself better improve your body i i definitely agree like it's something that you hope that you never ever really have to use but it's nice to have it and just even like i so i i've i have uh ever since uh i've been doing martial arts i think i've been doing it probably for like i think i'm 20 i'm 28 now i think uh so like 15 years you think <laughs> i think yeah man it's, it's it's been a while now pretty sure i'm 28 so uh it's been like 15 years of martial arts so my my mentality now is if i'm going to get into a fight after 15 years of martial arts someone's going to pay me for it <laughs> that's that's my rule so so like but the nice thing about it is like I, I feel like martial arts has helped me stay out of fights it's just like whether it's like you know hey someone's just know kind of got a weird vibe and it's gonna move away go someplace a little bit safer or whether it's just yeah. like you know someone like you know gets mad at you while you're driving on the road and you're just like oh man it's cool sorry about that like i didn't mean to upset you and then it's like you know you don't have to prove yourself at that point because you're like dude i've been doing this for 15 years and if, like i said if i'm gonna fight somebody we're gonna have to put, like i'm gonna i'm gonna call somebody up. i can call somebody up i got them on speed dial we can both get paid for this let's not do it for free <laughs> you know what i mean yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to do it was because the reality is um, I can avoid altercations. So we live in a like a developed world where we're not, you know, like looking over our shoulder when we go down the street or, you know, like all, all that kind of stuff. In this, the world we live in now, you and me, it's something that's pretty easy to avoid. But I think when it comes, what I ultimately decided was you can't guarantee it will never happen. And I think you, it's kind of like an insurance for 
that kind of thing. And I think there's also benefits to learning how to control someone else that you can't get from only focusing on controlling your own body. And it can actually influence the type of training that you might then decide to do with your mobility, with your strength and that kind of thing. I, I fully agree with you. What, what, I, what I'm basically meaning is like, um, I feel like not only does, like if you ever have to defend yourself, you're good to go. But what, what I more so meant was like, I feel like not only is there the aspect of if I ever got into a fight, I think I'd know a lot more what to do with myself. But then I also yeah. just, I don't know what it is, but it's like having that martial art background just kind of lets you like stay out of it. It kind of gives you like that, that, that lack of ego that keeps you from like getting into fights or also yeah. gives you kind of like the intuition. Like, you know, have you ever seen someone just looking at you the wrong way or just like, you know, yeah, I should just leave. Like, it doesn't look yeah. right. You know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of thing. And then I love that point you also made about like, learning how to move your body. Like, I think when it comes to movements, there's, like, generally three kinds. There's um, there's movements that you do by yourself. So, like, swimming, sprinting, um, uh, you know, shadow boxing, um, gymnastics. Then there's movements that you do with a willing partner. So, like, uh, dance or acro yoga or, like, Olympic lifting. And then there are movements that you do with a non-willing partner, which is basically combat. So uh, <laughs> I think like martial arts gives you that non-willing partner one covers that, but it also covers moving by yourself because like, you know, to throw a good punch, you have to learn how to move by yourself before you can move with um, a non-willing partner and punch somebody who doesn't want to get punched. And then yeah. in the middle of that, you also have to learn how to punch a drilling partner who's kind of helping you and your guys are working together to get the same effect so like i think you get to get basically all three with martial arts which is really cool yeah yeah it's so interesting it's also it's it's cool to see to just to elaborate a little bit on how i was saying you know when you're sparring and stuff it tells you and can show you things that help to dictate what you train when you're on your own is you might find like you have terrible balance when you enter a grappling exchange or you might find um I, like for me i gassed out like so quick when we were doing wrestling rounds i was like oh my god this is the most intense training i've ever done and my heart and lungs cannot keep up so it highlighted the importance of some cardio training into my uh yeah into my my programming i know exactly what you mean like uh i i, I still remember back when i used to wrestle in high school and that was the most intense cardio work i have ever done just two minute rounds of like take down just get back up and do it again like that was that was the most intense cardio i've ever done <laughs> yeah people don't understand unless they've, you've wrestled i don't think people understand how tough a training session can get it's so it's so rough i'm happy to hear that you have that in australia because i know it's um it's not just like it's not as common as here in america but that, that fact that you have it so close by or even have it available to you when you're 29 that's awesome I'm so happy to hear that yeah it's super valuable as well because when i'm sparring with people when i'm doing the mma um one of the things that is noticed is that i can uh link it together and also a kind of a lack of the other like Keep in mind, I'm a beginner, but a, a, a lack of the other people knowing much wrestling. Um, so putting in that year that I did in wrestling going down to Sydney, because Sydney is like the capital city of New South Wales, which is the state I live in. 
And um, Sydney's maybe like an hour and a half by train or an hour drive. So it was like a commute to go down there to do it. But um, yeah, putting in that year with the wrestling has benefited my mixed martial arts in general, like going from the striking to the wrestling down to the ground and getting back up and stuff. It's been probably the most valuable of all of them so far that I've noticed. I love that. Like that I think is one of the, like it, for MMA, one of the the best tools you can do. Like uh, there's a, there's a popular writer and podcast um, person named Jack Slack, who I really love. And one of the things he said was like, you know, you got, if you've got good wrestling, if somebody is a better striker than you, you can take them down. Uh, if someone does BJJ better than you, you can make them, you can keep them taking you down. And if they're a better striker and ground person than you, then put them against the cage and pound them out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you can, if you wrestle, you can you control where the fight goes. A better wrestler controls where the fight ends up. And that's what I love about it. Like, you basically control what aspect that fight stays in. And uh, that's why I think, like, if you get a chance to wrestle, that's great. If I ever had kids, you know, I'd have them wrestle like, in high school or even before then, oh, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> I definitely yeah, wrestling's things. wrestling's so good unless you're going up against Demi and Maya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as we just saw, as we just saw. Oh man, yeah, Ooh, almost, almost. Oh man, I, I. I mean, to his credit, he still, like you said, controlled where the fight went, but um, yeah, it just didn't go his way. Eh? Oh my god, that was crazy. I loved watching that. I was like, oh, nice heel hook transition to the mount to the to Renegade Choke. It's like, wow, beautiful. It was because it was on in Singapore. It was on at like 1 a.m. here in Australia. Like usually it's pretty good when your usual cards are on. Uh, for listeners that don't know, we're talking about the UFC mixed martial arts. Um, <clears throat> uh, usually when it's on in Las Vegas, which is usually where they have it. For us, it's like during the day. So it's, it's a really nice time. You know, you just kind of put your Sunday aside because um, we're ahead as well. Like it happens Sunday, not the Saturday. Um, but yeah, this was at 1am and I didn't know heaps of the fighters that were on leading up to it. I watched a few of them, but, um, yeah, I was like falling asleep and stuff. But then when the main event came on, I was like wide awake. I get, when I'm like super excited for a fight, my, uh, my heart races more. I feel like I have anxiety and stuff. Cause I'm so excited. Like what the hell's going to happen? I was like, yeah, I was so tuned into that fight, man. It was really exciting. I'm so jealous because I'm always asleep when the fights happen because they happen in, um, like about two or three hours behind our time. And oh, okay. I, I go to bed early, like nine o'clock usually. I'm, I'm like an old man. So like okay. by the time the main event happens, it's like 12 o'clock and I'm like, nah, let's catch it tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, You got to like stay off instagram as well yeah yeah exactly it's just like no let me catch him on fight pass when it happens yeah. <laughs> you'll see fight pass yeah well all right man i will end it there this has been my longest podcast oh, it was a blast yeah yeah thanks heaps for coming on man i really enjoyed that conversation um before we go did you have anything you wanted to plug yeah so if people want to find us they can find us on instagram we post daily there we post all our uh our tips and our tests and our tricks and you can message us and our instagram is the underscore mindful underscore mover um on instagram and if you want to see us online you can go uh, mindfulmover.com and if you want to send us a message and get in contact with us about online coaching you can 
email us at mail at mindfulmover.com and we'll get back to you. And uh, that's, a, that's a training that we run to help people make more gains in less time. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes so people know where to go. So, yeah, Phil, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks to Martina. Martina. <laughs> Support. She's, she's the best. Uh, that was super helpful as well. So, yeah, hopefully we can do it again sometime. I'd love to. Anytime you're ready, I'd love to. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Phil. Thanks.